Tess Newton-Kane, Tess being, of course, Project Leader of the Pacific Hub at Griffith University in Queensland. Welcome back, Tess. There's, a, well, a tsunami of diplomacy in the Pacific. The Prime Minister of Solomon's meeting with Albanese in Australia last week. Oh, and uh, Penny Wong travelling to Nauru and the Marshall Islands. That's right. There's a lot going on, as you say, and the Deputy Prime Minister, Minister of Defence, Richard Miles in Papua New Guinea. Um, so, yes, lots of Pacific uh, diplomacy going on. People talking with each other, uh, getting to know each other better, opening things, making announcements, all, all the uh, usual bells and whistles that we associate with those things. Has Sogavari uh, been brought back into the fold, Tess? Oh, look, I think uh, Mr Sogavari you know, likes to plough his own furrow. Um, and, you know, I, I, I'm not sure he ever considered himself out of the fold. It seemed to be a very affable meeting. It was something of a day trip um, to Canberra, but he did stay on for a fish dinner at the lodge. Um, but it seemed fairly good-natured. Uh, it was a good opportunity for he and Prime Minister Albanese to keep that personal relationship going since they met in July at the Pacific Islands Forum. Uh, Mr Sogavare once again reassured uh, Albanese and whoever else was listening that it was not his intention to have a foreign military base in his country. And Prime Minister Albanese said that he planned to visit um, Solomon Islands soon and before the Pacific Games, which are in November 2023. And, so, and yeah, we've I mean, promi promised funding for the Pacific Games. That's right. So that was announced by Pat Conroy when he was in Honiara for the 80th anniversary of the Guadalcanal campaign. And I think that um, in the general media, Philip, I think this issue of the Pacific Games and how important it is for Sokovare has been a bit underdone. Um, I did write a piece for the Canberra Times around this. Prime Minister Sokovare has invested a huge amount in this project politically and personally. He's pegged economic recovery to it. I saw some figures the other day that said that by the end of the second quarter of next year, that project will be the largest employer in the country. So he sees this as a, a national unifying event and something that, that is going to be really quite, you know, a bit of a nation building legacy project for the country. So I think it's a smart move on the part of Australia to get in on, on this project because it is so important to Tess, it. Tess, who's the, uh, the new US Pacific envoy? Uh, Frankie Reed. So she has she comes with um, a lot of Pacific experience, having been an ambassador in both Papua New Guinea and in Fiji, and having a good awareness of a number of countries. Not we don't know where she's going to be based. That's quite interesting. But her remit is to take forward U.S. engagement with the Pacific Islands Forum. So we'll be looking forward to seeing how she does that. Now, one country that didn't sign up with the uh, the US declaration was the Marshall Islands, and I guess they've got some very good reasons for holding out. Well, uh, let me just, if I may, Philip, with the greatest of respect, I'm just going to tweak that a little bit. So Marshall Islands did sign up to that declaration at the White House. What they didn't do was send their negotiating team for the third round of talks around the new compact of free association funding that is, is ongoing. And that's because 
the Marshall Islands have made it very clear that in this round of discussions or in, in relation to this renewal of the funding, they want some very clear, definite um, commitments about providing support for them dealing with the nuclear legacy. And they well, basically the, the, said, I think it's important to remind the listener what happened to the Marshall Islands. Well, you know, as as we know, Philip, between, you know, over a number of years from the 60s through, you know, for about 30 or so years after that, um, there were a huge number of nuclear tests conducted on Marshall Islands. Um, and in addition to that, there was nuclear contaminated um, fallout from elsewhere dumped on in the Marshall Islands. So there are parts of that country where people had to be moved and they can't go back. And there are ongoing uh, environmental and health problems. So John Silk told me earlier in the year that every family in the country has someone who's either died from cancer or is dealing with cancer right now. And, you know, they, they're very clear that this all goes back to the impacts of that testing regime. And they want compensation and support, don't they? The, they do want compensation. So the, the US position up to now has been that they dealt with this a long time ago. They referred to a Section 177 um, agreement. The Marshall Islands position is that, yes, that did take place, but they don't consider it to be sufficient. And it certainly doesn't address the fact that even now, however many years after the fact, families and communities are still dealing with all of these impacts. Off to Vanuatu. Tell us about the elections. Yes, so my, as you know, Philip, I am a citizen of Vanuatu, so my second country will be having elections tomorrow. Polls open at 7.30am local time and close at 4.30pm local time. So it's a single day for polling in Vanuatu. Um, and generally, elections in Vanuatu go quite smoothly. Interesting issues around the logistics of getting ballot boxes out, particularly to the more remote areas. Usually the patrol boat would play a huge part in that, in transporting ballot boxes and electoral staff. But the new patrol boat that was gifted by Australia quite recently is out of service. It's one of several in that series of boats that has had significant problems and cannot be used until um, some repair work is done by a team from Cairns. So the government of Australia has made good on that by providing uh, other assets, planes and helicopters, in order for ballot boxes to be taken to where they need to be and hopefully as many people as want to take part in the elections will be able to. So while the Solomons rebuffed Australia's financial support for their elections in Vanuatu, they're accepted and needed. Well, yes. I mean, it's it's not as we, I think as we spoke about in relation to Solomons and elsewhere, it's, it's not uncommon for Australia to provide financial or logistical or technical support for elections in, in, in a number of Pacific Island countries. Um, and that's that's what we're seeing in Vanuatu. But it's fairly minimal in terms of um, there's some logistical support. There's a technical advisor at the Electoral Commission. And there are, there are a number of Australians, including the Deputy Minister for Pacific, Michael McCormack, um, in Australia, in Vanuatu, for as election observers, there are forty-nine um, group, you know, forty-nine electoral observers of one sort or another in Vanuatu at the moment. Are they necessary? Because you say that elections usually run smoothly. 
Yeah, I think the fact that it was a snap election, we saw this in 2016. The, the snap elections tend to generate a bit more concern and interest than might be otherwise the case. Vanuatu elections are not known for being, um, you know, conflict points, so we don't have violence in association with um, elections. There are there are a couple of structural issues in relation to the role, uh, but they're more. It's it's really an administrative issue. It's it's not a focus of corruption. So, you know, they will be running around, uh, hopefully enjoying what is usually a very you know colourful kind of festive day. Let's hope the weather's good for it. I was talking to Ian Dunt about the uh, the necessity to put a revolving door at Downing Street to permit <laughs> the rapid egress of prime ministers, and of course ours have had the shelf life of yogurt. But I see that six. <laughs> Six former PMs are running in the in the Vanuatu elections. Yeah, that's right. We they they are a significant contingent, and I think sixty one of the candidates have already had parliamentary experience. I think one of the issues in Vanuatu, and we see this in other Pacific Island countries as well, is we don't really have very many options for post political life. So we only have a small number of ambassadorships or high commissioners. We don't have multiple universities for people to become chancellors of. So there isn't that kind of, there isn't really much option for that kind of senior statesman role. And so that kind of creates a disincentive to leave politics. And And so we do see people hanging on and coming back. Now, finally, Pacific workers have been filling labour shortages here in Australia. But I guess the loss of skilled workers is starting to bite in the Pacific. Yeah, I think um, we've, so what we've seen, we've seen a couple of interesting things come out this week, including in Vanuatu and Samoa, some of the officials there that work on this are saying, well, are looking at uh, developing or reviewing their policies and have raised the issue of whether they should be putting a cap on how many people can be away from the country at any one time working on these seasonal labour options, whether it's in New Zealand or Australia. And this is because, as you say, uh, businesses are reporting that they're, they're not able to get workers or skilled workers. They're losing their skilled workers to go and take up these opportunities. It was a it was a real safety net during COVID when there was no tourism. Um, it was great that people could get get opportunities to go overseas and earn money. But now the tourism is restarting and a number of businesses are finding that along with all the other challenges that they have, um, they've got also got this challenge of not having enough staff to be able to open up as much as they might like to. Thanks, Tess. Talk in a fortnight, Dr Tess Newton-Cain, project leader at the Pacific Hub at Griffith Uni in Queensland and, of course, a regular on the Little Wireless program. G'day, potties. If you like discussions that get beyond the headlines and help you make sense of the big trends in business and politics, check out uh, Saturday Extra with my colleague Geraldine Doog on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts.